this morning, we're starting a new series called Living Out What Lies Inside. Living Out What Lies Inside. And I'm really excited about kicking this off. And it's really a study through the book of James. So if you have your Bibles, if not, it's okay. If you have your Bibles, though, um, I want you to turn to James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Verses 1 through 4. And it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be com- mature and complete, not lacking anything. Okay. As a foundation for this series, and really the foundation for our lives, the ultimate goal for every single Christian in this room, your ultimate purpose, is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is why we exist. Nothing you do in in this life, nothing you do on this earth, on this earth matters without that as the foundation. That needs to be the foundation. Only what's done for Christ will last. I remember when I first started going to church, I was 17 and a half years old and kind of a hood from New York and hung around a bunch of hoods. And I don't know what you call them now, but that's what we called. That's what they called them when I was growing up. And uh, and I went to started going to church and started getting to youth group and really, really enjoyed it. And, and the one thing that they did in that youth group that they were known for is the choir. They had an amazing choir. And I, I, it took me months. I wanted to join, but it was hard for someone in my background to join the choir, okay, to be a choir, a choir boy. You know what I'm saying? It was really difficult to go from where I was, you know, to uh, be considered a choir boy by my friends. And so it took me a few months. Finally, I broke down and I got involved in the choir. And one of the songs that we, we first started singing was a song that, that, that basically the theme was only what's done for Christ will last. This earth is going to pass away. So soon it shall pass, but only what's done for Christ will last. And that song, okay, has been stuck in my head, if you will, my entire life. Because it's so completely true. Only what's done for Jesus Christ will last. Our ultimate goal is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So we need to put, as James talks about trials, he talks about suffering, we need to put trials in that same framework, okay? When, when we're talking about our trials, we're talking about suffering, we're talking about sorrow, we're talking about challenges and difficulty, we need to put them in the framework, the framework of only what's done for Christ will last, and the framework that we need to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And how can our trials, how can our suffering, how can our difficulty help us be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Because it really, really can. You see, when we think of trials as something that just happened to us outside of God, we will, the world misses the most important lessons in life. We live in a fallen world. Trials will come. Suffering will come. Difficulty will come. I'm not saying anything you guys don't know. But if you take God out of the equation when it comes to suffering... When you take God out of the equation, you're missing something. 
You're missing some of the greatest lessons that you can learn in your life. In James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, it helps us see that God, God can help us through our challenges and our challenges are a part of his redemptive plan. The challenges that we face in life are part of God's redemptive plan. Now, I want to be very, very clear because I'm not going to because we're going to talk about this a lot, but I want to clear this up up front. Does God bring trials into our lives? Does God discipline us? The answer is absolutely yes. God disciplines Jeff Greer when Jeff Greer gets off the path. Why? Because my father loves me. What loving father in this room is not going to discipline his child, knowing that if my child goes down that road, my child's going down a road that's going to end in suffering and misery, and I will do what I need to do to stop my child from going down a road that's going to end in misery and suffering. That is a loving, compassionate thing to do. So does God bring some trials into our lives sometimes to get us on the right path, to keep us strong, to help us to learn certain truths? Absolutely. And it's completely loving. Does God bring all the trials that we face into our lives? Everything? Absolutely not. God is not the author of sin. Okay, we're going to talk about this. Trials can come from behavior that you choose to do in your own life. Sinful behavior that you choose will bring suffering into your life. Sinful behavior that other people choose brings suffering into our lives. And what I'm going to share with you this morning is no matter where it comes from, no matter where it comes from, God can use the suffering that we face in our lives to bring us into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter, again, where it comes from. In Romans 8.28, it says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. All things means all things. Things that you inflict upon yourself, things that the world, the enemy, Satan, inflicts upon you. God uses all those things. And obviously, he uses, when he disciplines someone like me, he uses that to bring glory to himself, to help me to grow in my relationship and become more like his son, Jesus Christ. Those are, those are good things that happen. Those are good trials that we go through. But God can use all of it. God can use all of it. See, the pressure that we experience from trials can be used by God to fulfill his purpose within every single... God has a purpose for your life. The trials that we all go through can be used to fulfill the purpose that he has for us. In other words, God can bring beauty out of the ashes. God can overcome evil. God can overcome the evil that has been inflicted upon your life with good. God can overcome evil with good. God is an expert at doing that. He takes the trash that has been thrown at us and he uses it to glorify himself and to help us become more like Jesus Christ. Trials will come in the life of a believer. Every single one of us, every single one of us, James is saying, will face trials. Whether you know the Lord or don't know the Lord, believer or non-believer, it doesn't matter. We're all going to face trials. But trials are trials. If we if we if we experience them the way we should, if we use them the way we should, can help us grow in our faith. And that's what we're talking about. It can help us grow in our faith. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. Those who dive into the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. Those who dive into the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. I, I, he is more correct than he even knows. 
probably when he was reading it. Maybe he understood it all, but he's more correct than he even knows. In the case of a pearl, God can use the irritations of life. God can use the difficulties and the strains and the suffering and the irritation of life to create works of art. You ever thought about how a pearl is actually formed? Ever thought about that? You get these beautiful pearls. They're rare jewels. You know, and especially, you know, certain pearls, they're worth a fortune. And how are they formed? Well, a pearl is formed when a foreign substance gets between the shell and the mantle of the oyster. It kind of gets in there. It's like the oyster gets a splinter. It's, it's, it's irritating. It's an irritation. So that splinter or whatever, that foreign object getting into the oyster becomes an irritation, okay, in the oyster's life. And so what the oyster does is the oyster uses the same substance that the oyster uses to create the shell. Use that substance and over and over again begins to smooth over and smoother and put that substance over that irritation. That, that whatever, whatever the irritation is that's bothering the oyster just keeps layering it and layering it and layering it over and over. And from that, from the irritation, you get a beautiful, rare pearl. That's how pearls are formed. When we joyfully trust God in our trials, God can take those trials. God can take those difficulties, those irritations and create something beautiful. That's what we're talking about here. God can take something that is that is evil and God in his power. God has the last word. God is sovereign over all things. God can take something that's an irritation, that's a difficulty, that's a trial, that's a challenge, that's suffering, whatever words you want to use, and he can bring something beautiful out of it. Well, how does he do that? Well, first, by strengthening our spiritual core, just like the, the, the core, the, the pearls made in the core. God can strengthen our spiritual core. Overcoming our trials strengthens our spiritual resolve and molds us into, uh, into the image of Jesus Christ. So God can mold us through those difficulties. God can mold us just like that pearl, the beautiful pearl into the image of his perfect son, Jesus Christ. That's the goal. So even the imperfections, even the irritations, all the suffering, whatever you're going through, God can take those things and he can mold it into something that is beautiful. He also does this by giving us an eternal perspective. You cannot do what we're going to talk about this morning without having an eternal perspective. You can't even comprehend it. The world is running around right now seeking physical pleasure, seeking, seeking personal pleasure. They look at the world. They so desperately want, they want to be happy. It's personal happiness. I want to be happy. I want to be happy. And how do they do that? By going after pleasure, whether it's anesthetizing themselves in some way. They just want to escape from the, the real world of suffering and difficulty and challenge they face every single day. So how do they do it? They don't know. They don't understand joy and peace and contentment. All they have is personal happiness. So they throw all their lot into personal happiness. And they, that's why you have all this sexual exploitation going on around. It's like, it's It's like, how can I seek as much pleasure as possible in every area? How can I anesthetize myself? I need, I need, I need to be personally happy. And so they're constantly doing that, but they don't understand uh, internal perspective. They only understand a temporal perspective. But God helps us to see an eternal perspective. John Calvin wrote this. No one will calmly and quietly submit to bear the cross except those who have learned to seek their happiness beyond this world. 
beyond this world. Running after personal happiness as your goal in life is like a dog chasing its tail. Completely meaningless and worthless. And will end in nothing but misery and frustration. There is a gigantic difference between joy that James is talking about here and the peace and contentment that the Bible talks about and seeking personal happiness. And we'll talk about that as we go on here. So where does this type of joy come from? Like Calvin, Calvin saying, no one will calmly or quietly submit to bear the cross except those who have learned to seek their happiness beyond this world. Where is that kind of where is that kind of happiness? Where is that kind of joy? Where is that kind of contentment? Where does that kind of peace come from? Well, it comes from it comes from a supernatural working of God. It comes from a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. See, I want to take, here's what I want to do. I want to take the remainder of our time this morning and, and using James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, I want to show you how you can find joy in the midst of your trials, okay? But before we do that, before we get to those three, what I'd like to do is just talk a little bit about um, some of the ways that we communicate to people when they're going through suffering and they're going through trials. What do, in general, okay, in general, many times when people are going through suffering and difficulties, we see, we throw out phrases that don't, they do more harm than good. And the reason I know that is because I get to talk to a lot of people who have walked away from the faith out of frustration for years and years, just talking to somebody after first service, who walked away from the faith because of the things I'm talking about right now. I'm going to just share two of them. There are more, but I'm going to share two. We talked about one last week. And that is when someone's going through a difficult time and they're about ready to pass out of exhaustion, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and everything else. What we say to them is, well, listen, God won't give you more than you can handle. That is completely untrue. It's not in the Bible. Where it comes from is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, God will not give you more. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Okay? Different. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but he'll give you a way out. That's completely true. Whether you take the way out is up to you, but God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will give you a way out of that temptation. That is not the same as the general Christian thing we throw. God won't give you more than you can handle the world. Let me just clear this up. The world, the enemy will give you more than you can handle in this life. Sometimes some of you never experienced that. Others of you have. You have experienced that. But here's the thing. As believers in Jesus Christ, when I am weak, then I am strong, correct? I'm strongest when I'm on my knees. I am strongest when the world has beaten me so badly that I'm driven down to my knees. And the only place I can look is up for God's help and for God's strength and for God's guidance. So when the world or the enemy or whatever you want to use gives you more than you can handle, you need to be on your knees seeking out God's strength. I mean, 2 Corinthians 12, 10 says it perfectly. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Are you going to get more than you can handle sometimes in relationships? Yep, you certainly are. Are you going to be overwhelmed sometimes to the point where you're driven to your knees, where you feel so weak emotionally, you just, the thought of handling or one more thing coming your way, the camel's back has been broken already, you don't, you can't even stand up underneath it anymore, 
But it's when you are weak, then you are strong. The problem is, as Christians, we don't seek out the strength of Christ. When your strength is gone, his strength is just getting started. It may be too much for you. It isn't too much for him. And we need to we need to depend on him. We need to go to him. We need to submit to him. Okay. the second thing that people say when others are going through struggles and they're suffering is they say, you know, you can find good in every situation. There's good in every situation. That is not true. That that is just not true. There there is nothing good about murder or abuse. There's nothing good about what happened last week in Orlando. There's nothing good about child trafficking. A child being snatched up as, as, a, as a, a, a real small little child, taken to another country, put in a cage, and then you will just leave it at that, okay? There's nothing good there. Nothing good about that. We can choose to let God bring good out of evil situations, but the situations themselves are not good. Let me say that again. You can choose to let God bring good out of an evil situation, but the situation itself is not good. It's not good. We can allow him to give purpose and meaning to our suffering. That's what we can do as believers. We can say, God, you can use what someone has inflicted upon me to help me conform to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. That can happen. God can do that. God is sovereign over all things. People do things to you, it is not, the evil doesn't get the last word in the life of a believer. God gets the last word in the life of a believer. But don't tell people, the situ, look for the good in the situation. Every situation has a silver lining, it's all, it's, there's good in it, you've got to find it. it <laughs> goodness me, you tell someone that, you know what it does? It ticks them off. Non-believers, even believers, it ticks them off. It, it not only ticks them off, but some people, I've, I've, I've counseled people who spent years of their lives thinking, God did this, okay? Because God, you know, God did this because, so that, because there's good in every situation, and I just need to find the good that came out. There's, there's, you're, you're searching for something you're not going to find. That was an evil thing that was done. There's, it was evil, period. Let's be clear. That was an evil thing done to you. God's not the author of evil. God did not do that, period. Now, as a believer in Jesus Christ, evil doesn't get the last word. Father, help me. Help me. Give me the strength. Give me what I need to help to, to, to become the person. Use that evil for good. Use it in my life. Teach me. Show me. Encourage me. Carry me. Strengthen me. That, yes, God will do that. God will do that. But here's the deal. God's will is not always the path you're on. It's how you choose to walk that path. That's God's will. It's not the path that you're on. It's how you choose to walk that path. God's will is not, is not that innocent children are murdered. God's will is not that teenagers are abused. God's will is that not, you're, you are not constantly tempted and tempted and tempted by that addiction that has plagued you most of your life. That's, that's not God's will. That is not, that's not God's will. God's will is not always found in the events that happen in our lives. God's will is found in how we address, how we handle those events. 
God's will is found in how we respond to those events. God's will is not always found in the events that happen to us in our lives. Some of those come from pure evil. God's will is how then we respond, how we deal with, how we handle the events that have inflicted upon us. See, God, God wants us, God wants to walk with us through that difficulty in that event. God wants to carry us through that difficulty and through that event. That is God's desire. He wants to walk us through. He wants to carry us through the abuse. He wants to carry us through the suffering. He wants to carry us through the trial. And us opening up our hearts and saying, yes, God, please carry me through that. That is God's will. See, he wants us to use. God wants us. We live in a fallen world and this is going to happen. Trials are going to come. Suffering is going to come. No one will be exempt. Period. We live in a fallen world. But God wants us to use the trials that we face. He wants us to use he wants us to use those trials to bring his message of hope and grace and forgiveness to a hurting world. And we can. I honestly, I mean this sincerely. I could not speak the way I speak. I would not have the passion that I have. I would not get worked up and charged up and I would not be relentless and aggressive in trying to overcome some of the, the ills of this world that are inflicted upon other people and have such a heart and passion to see it happen and never and not give up if it wasn't for the suffering that I went through when I was growing up. I would be a different person. Did, when someone inflicted suffering upon me, was that was that good? No, that was they were they were wrong. They shouldn't have inflicted that upon me. But I but God in his wisdom used that difficulty, used that suffering, used that pain in order to, to turn me into the person that I was designed to be. And I'm telling you right now, I'll be honest with you. It wasn't until I gave my life to Jesus Christ that the scales fell off my eyes. My mind and my heart was open to who I truly was designed to be. I was not the same person the first 18 years of my life. But at 18 years old, God transformed me. Why? And he used the things that were inflicted upon my life. He used those things to help me become more like his son, Jesus Christ. That is God's will for my life, that I use the things that were inflicted upon me to bring his message of grace and hope and forgiveness to this hurting world. Okay, so now we're going to move to the three things, three things, three ways that God can use suffering in our lives, that God can use trials in our lives. Three ways that God can do that to bring joy. He can bring joy in the midst of the trials. First, we can find joy when we realize we all, okay, we all face trials. We all face trials. James says in chapter 1 and verse 2, okay, it it doesn't say, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, if you face trials. It says when you face trials, consider it pure joy. When you face those trials, every single person is going to face trials. And we need to come to the realization in our lives that every single one of us, whether we're Christian or not, is going to face trials in our lives. There's no way around it. Everyone in this room is going to suffer. If you are over the well, everyone in this room has probably suffered in some way. It's going to happen. 
Jesus told us this in John chapter 16, verses 33. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I get the last word. You're going to suffer. You're going to have trouble. We live in a fallen world. Jesus understood that. But he said, I am going to have the last word. In Romans 8, 17, Paul says this. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that, that we may also share in his glory. First Peter four twelve says this. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. See, when we when we come to the grips with the fact that we uh, that, that this truth is is, is re- we are going to suffer, we are going to go through difficulties. It prepares us. It prepares us for all types of suffering. When we understand that that this world is fallen, we are all going to suffer. When we when we understand that, it pre- it begins to prepare us. We're not in some la la land. See, the problem with this world is they're trying to create a utopia that will never exist. Love is love is love is love is love is love is love. If we just, if we just, if we just, if we just, if we just took all the money from these people and gave it to those people, if we just all understood that love and love and love and love, if we just all understood this, if we all understood that, if we paid for everybody saying we did this, we did that, if we just, 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 it'll be utopia and it won't. Why? Because their theology is wrong. We live in a fallen world and no matter what you do, it's fallen. It's going to be, you're going to have suffering in this world. Why? Because it's filled with people who have a sinful nature. Until the world understands that, they're running. They're going to, every generation will run after a utopia only to see it go up in smoke as they get close. And they never do get close. But that's the mindset that people have. See, the Bible never hides the fact that we're going to face trials. God in his grace warns us that we're going to deal with trials of many kinds. He warns us and he warns us so we can avoid being caught off guard. He doesn't want us caught off guard. So he warns us, you're going to have these troubles. No one should ever be surprised in this room, really in this world, should be surprised when they face trials because the Bible clearly warns us it's going to happen, but gives us the tools to help us overcome it and find joy and peace and contentment in the midst of those trials. See, when we understand our trials, and we understand our trials can be used by God, that God can use them we'll be better prepared to trust him when those trials come. And that's part of the problem. We don't trust him. Because we, we buy into this personal happiness lifestyle that everyone should just be personally happy. We buy into that. And then when trials come, we get upset and angry with God. We don't trust him. But if, what I just described to you, if you understand what I just described to you and see it from eternal perspective, when the trials come, when the suffering comes, you will then trust God through it. Number two, God uses trials to help us grow. We can find joy because God uses trials to help us grow. James Stewart said this. The true Christian reaction to suffering and sorrow is not the attitude of self-pity, fatalism, or, or resentment. It is the spirit which takes life's difficulties as a gift 
given a God given opportunity and regards its troubles as a sacred trust and wears the crown as a, wears the thorns as a crown. I love that. I love the way he lays it out. Verses 3 and 4 in James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, pretty much tell us how we can find joy in our struggles. Suffering, one of the things that James is saying here is suffering reveals our approval by God. Okay? It it tells the world who we are. It tells the world who we are because they watch what you go through and they watch how you handle it. Verse 2, James refers to suffering as a trial. And then in verse 3, he calls it testing. The testing. The word testing in verse 3 means proving the worth of something. It's proving the worth of something. Let me just jump back real fast. James is, in the context, is talking to persecuted Christians. They're being persecuted. Their stuff is being taken away. Their houses, their everything, their families, they're being taken away. They're being killed. They're being persecuted. They're going through all these struggles. And he's saying, he's saying, okay, when you go through these struggles, it's like a testing, the proving of, of, of your worth. Not, not your worth as a person, but as a believer in Jesus Christ. See, a true Christian will be persecuted. You have to understand that. We will be persecuted. We will go through times of persecution. There, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you stand up for what the Bible says in this culture, you are going to be persecuted. Period. There's no way around it. If you stand up and preach the word of God in this culture, you will be persecuted. But we should take pride, honestly. We should take pride in the fact that we are making enough noise and the enemy is hearing that noise and we get into those battles and those conflicts, those spiritual battles. We should take pride in the fact that we are living in such a way that it draws attention and causes those spiritual battles because it's in the, listen, it is in the fight. It is in the suffering that endurance is produced. It is in the fight. It is in the suffering. It is in the battle that endurance is produced. We produce the endurance that we need to overcome. That's what he's talking about here. The joy we feel comes from the reality, comes from the reality that our trials, that our difficulties, that our suffering is helping us be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is the joy that we can have. That regardless of what the world throws at us, in the end, we win. In the end, Christ triumphs. In the end, it is God's will that is done in our lives. That's what James is talking about here. Endurance is not the end goal here. Conformity to the image of Jesus Christ is the end goal. So, but as we endure, as we endure and we build character, we become more like Jesus Christ. Number three, we find joy when God gives us the power to accomplish that goal. The Bible says, it says this, James says, the fact that endurance must complete its work. He says, endurance must complete its work. That helps us to see that God is involved in every part of this process. He's involved throughout the entire process. The Bible says that that we should endure trials. Why? To help us grow and be conformed to the image of Christ and to glorify God. To glorify God. Again, that eternal perspective. We need to realize our response to suffering really matters. It matters. People are watching how we live our lives. They're watching how we respond when we go through difficulties because our response reveals our hearts. 
You know, sometimes we go through difficulties and instead of instead of allowing God to work on us and transform us into the image of Christ, we get angry at God and we shake our fist at God. Why is this happening to me? And what James is saying is that true believers, that faith is revealed as we go through the difficulties and struggles and trials of life. That, that, that saving faith is revealed to all those around us. So it matters. Why does it matter? Because it reveals our hearts. Those with hearts for God will trust God during the difficulties and the struggles. But James is saying those, those who are double-minded will doubt God's goodness. Okay, and listen to this. They will doubt God's goodness and they will blame him when trials come because those trials interfere with their personal happiness. Basically what he's saying. When, I, when I'm talking about testing your faith, that's what he's talking about. The person who goes through trials And as a heart for God, trust God during those difficult times, knowing that, yes, that evil was inflicted upon me. But I took a step back and said, God, this was inflicted upon me. How can you help me grow through this difficulty? What, Lord, this was wrong, that this, that this that happened to me was wrong. But how can you help me become more like your son, Jesus Christ? What can I learn from this experience that I can use to strengthen myself and to strengthen those around me, encourage those around me. On the other hand, when someone goes to someone who's less spiritually mature goes through a trial, what they do is they get angry with God. They blame God for what's happening in their lives. Okay. And they're frustrated because that trial is interfering with their ultimate goal, which is personal happiness. In other words, our response to suffering reveals our spiritual maturity. Now, I'm not, this is not a beat you up sermon. I promise it's not. And so if you're asking yourself, boy, I'm, I'm kind of that person who shakes my fist at God. Okay, that's okay. You know where you are. Now you can walk from there and become stronger. That's the, that's the goal here. It's to become more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's okay. You where I am where I am. I am not where I should be. All right. Well, I'm going to keep working at becoming more spiritually mature so I can be conformed to the image of Christ and handle myself in the right way. Here's the reality. Like I said before, we're all going to face suffering, believers and non-believers. But here's the great thing. Here's the great thing that James is saying as well. We will never suffer to the degree that Jesus Christ suffered. We will never suffer the way he suffered. We will never experience what he experienced. Fully God and fully man understood exactly what he was going to go through in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's why he sweat blood. Because the fully man side was like, oh my goodness. Okay, what is coming is just overwhelming. And he was sweating blood. And he said in the human, as a fully, fully man, he said, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Let's come here. Maybe you can do something else and kind of work things around. But as fully God said, but not my will be done, your will be done. Jesus was suffering, not not just because he knew they were going to nail him to a cross. That hurt, okay? He suffered because as fully God said, recognized all the suffering, all the evil, all the things that were inflicted upon you, all of those things would be put on him. He would take on the sin of the entire world. And that caused overwhelming suffering. He experienced suffering. He experienced his suffering so that he could ultimately, listen to me, that he could ultimately redeem our suffering. 
It is, that is theologically, spiritually unbelievable. Jesus experienced ultimate suffering so that he could ultimately redeem our suffering. Here it is. Not even death has the final word in the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus suffering, ultimately everything, even suffering to the point of death and being raised again, not even death, not even death has the last word in my life. Not even death has the last word in your life. Because Christ, through what he went through and what he suffered, can redeem that which causes us to suffer. See, it's why through Christ, suffering can actually become a means of joy because we know he can, he can work through it. He can use it. Think about that. Just don't, don't let this go, okay? Because of Jesus' ultimate suffering and redeeming our suffering, even though we have gone through horrendous situations, events in our lives, even though you've suffered so much in your life, Jesus Christ can use that, can use it in your life. He can redeem it. What was meant for your evil, he can turn around and use it for your good. I didn't say he inflicted upon you. I'm saying he can take the evil that was inflicted upon you and that evil, that abuse that you went through, does not get the last word. That's what I'm saying. Anything you've gone through in your life, all the struggles that you have with addiction, all the times that you've fallen and you failed, that does not have the last word in your life. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ did in suffering on the cross can redeem those things and use those things to help you and I conform to the image of himself. That is good news. Someone better say amen. Okay, that is really, really good news. The enemy thinks he beats us to a pulp and he gets the last word. He doesn't even get the last word when it comes to death because Jesus conquered that as well. So what is your response to suffering? What is your response to suffering? Think about it. How do you respond? And don't beat yourself up. Just think about it. How do you respond when you go through suffering? And then answer, ask yourself the question, what does that reveal about where I am in my spiritual walk? It just reveals something. And it may reveal that you're not as spiritually mature as you should be. Okay, that's okay. But think about, think about where you can be. Think about how God, that nothing this world throws at you, okay, when it overwhelms you, when it gives you more than you can handle, when it throws all this evil at you, imagine a God who can take all of that and bring something absolutely beautiful out of it. God is sovereign over all of it, okay, and he gets the last word in every single area of your life. So I ask you, do you trust God's goodness? Okay, you live in a fallen world. You are going to suffer. That is reality. The question is, do you trust in God's goodness? Is your faith strong enough to endure the trials that you're going to go through, the many trials you're going to go through? See, in our culture, we confuse joy with personal happiness. And I think we really, really, really need to understand the difference. And I'm going to read you a quote that as I was reading and studying this, I found. And if you want it, I'll send it to you because one time reading it through is not going to be enough. I read it so many different times and it gets more profound every time I read it. It's by Walter Wangren. He wrote this. It's in Reliving the Passion. 
He said the difference between shallow happiness and a deep sustaining joy is sorrow. Happiness lives where sorrow is not. When sorrow arises, listen, when sorrow arises, happiness dies. It can't stand pain. Joy, on the other hand, rises from sorrow. Listen, joy rises from sorrow and therefore can withstand all grief. Joy, by the grace of God, is the transfiguration of suffering into endurance and of endurance into character and of character into hope. And the hope that has become our joy does not, as happiness must for those who depend on it, disappoint us. If you're, if you're living your life anesthetizing and having to go and f- figure out personal pleasure all the time because you, want to, you just want that, you want that constant, you know, that personal happiness, that personal happiness, it will end in disappointment. It will, please believe me, before God, please believe me, it will, it must, it has to, has one choice, but to end in disappointment. Joy, on the other hand, joy rises out of sorrow. Joy rises out of suffering. Why? Because we know the one who is in control. We know the one who can take our suffering and turn it into something beautiful. Is it easy? Not a bit. Has anything I said this, has any, is anything I said this morning easy? Absolutely not. Very difficult. Extremely difficult for us to grasp. But if we take hold of it, we will have peace. We will have joy. We will have, we will have comfort. We will have all that God wants for us. But we have to live that truth out in our lives. See, if you're, if you're not in a season of suffering right now, it's a perfect time for you to sit at the feet of Jesus. It is a perfect time for you to sit at the feet of Jesus and develop a more mature understanding of suffering and trials. So if you're not going through suffering right now, if you're not going through a trial, now is the perfect time to sit at the feet of Jesus and get a more mature understanding, a spiritually mature understanding of suffering and difficulty. And when you do that, don't be surprised if you're going to use it very quickly. Very quickly. Listen, not everything that happens is for a good reason. Get that clear. Not everything that happens in this life is for a good reason. But in everything that happens, God can use it to bring hope and healing, not only to our own lives, but also to the lives or for the lives of the people that are around us. God can use our pain for a greater good if we choose to allow him to do that. God, bow your heads with me. God, our Father, gets the last word in this life and then the next. God, we pray with all of our hearts that you would take the evil that has been inflicted upon us, the suffering that has been inflicted upon us by people who are not following you and have done what is evil in your sight and abused and harmed other people. God, we pray that you would use even that That you would redeem even that. That you would transform even that into something that we can use in our lives for good, for healing, for hope, 
not only for ourselves, but for those around us. Use us, we pray, with all of our hearts. Use us. Use even the struggles that we've faced. Use them to help us to conform to the image of your your Son, Jesus Christ, and to glorify you. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you.